This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey everyone, it's Dan Favalli. Remember to search Blue Wire Buckets in iTunes or Spotify for more NBA content. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Knocks Podcast. I am Dan Favalli, coming at you this time, for the first time in a long time, with my co-host, super duper, incredibly esteemed, awesome times awesome, fantabulous, spectaculario, finally done with his hiatus and is no longer sick of his co-host, Dan Favalli, co-host, <laughs> Andrew D. Bailey. We're excited to be back together. Good vibes coming out everywhere. A lot to talk about today, some coaching hires. Stuff about Brett Brown coming back to the Sixers. We're going to do the Utah Jazz's uh, long-term outlook. We don't even need a guest for that because we have uh, Mother F and Andy here to tackle that for us. I'm going to get to interrogate him. That's always exciting. But first, I just want to remind, beg, implore everyone to continue rating, reviewing, and subscribing to us on iTunes. The numbers have remained semi-stagnant since the last time Andy and I were together. What better way to celebrate our triumphant return than throwing us that five-star rating on iTunes writing a review, and definitely subscribing if you haven't done that already. And if you have, referrals, shout-outs on Twitter, anything that helps us continue to grow this fantabulous community you have helped us build. We can also be found wherever else you are consuming your podcast, whether that's Blog Talk, Stitcher, Google Play, all those good places, Art19. But once more, iTunes is the top way to let us know that you are out there, that you are listening, that we are only yelling into the void roughly half the time. Finally, if you have not checked out the Blue Wire Podcast Network, you need to remedy that immediately. We are pumping out content over there left and right. We have Blue Wire Buckets, which just really tackles the playoffs from every angle three times a week. Great podcast from the NBA, great podcast across all sports. Be sure to follow them at Blue Wire Pods. You can follow Andy if you aren't already, and if you're not, that seems kind of dumb, but whatever. You can follow him at Andrew D. Bailey. I am at Dan Favale, F-A-V-A-L-E. The show is at Hardwood Knox. And now we get started with the question that people, I think, have been dying to know for roughly four weeks. Andy, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, wow, you did not skip a beat on the intro. I mean, you must you must go through those superlatives in your sleep at this point. I dream about the word spectaculario and fantastic. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's been too long, man. I don't even, uh, it's just crazy schedules for both of us. And you've been, uh, churning through team previews like a madman. Um, so shout out to you. You're the one who deserves all the superlatives. You know what is, I miss most about podcasting with you is I, I have to, I pre-record intros now, I think, which is why I have the Twitter handles at the beginning in this one, because I don't want to make our guests sit through two minutes of me just spewing crap. Not that it's crap, because you need to rate, review, and subscribe to us, and you need to follow Blue Wire Pods. 
But it's yeah, exciting sure. to have you back. You've stopped covering. You were covering Portland, uh, that Portland-Denver series for a minute. Probably wouldn't have seen you forever if the Nuggets made the Western Conference Finals. I know. I mean, I was I was starting to just I, – I was ready to pick them to win it all. Well, that seems a little bit <laughs> it, that it would have been ludicrous. I'm obviously joking, people. Um, any quick thoughts on the Nuggets? Do you think they try and do anything major this offseason? I think it'd probably be an overreaction, most likely, just because they're still so young. But I could see them getting maybe a little impatient with Jamal Murray or something like that. But they don't really, aside from a trade, since they don't – they'll have some cap space if they get rid of Paul Millsap's team option, but I would assume that they want him back as well. Yeah, I don't think they do anything drastic. Um, this, the sense that I get from everyone around there is that they're pretty happy with the way that things went. I think they probably should be. They they certainly should have won that game seven, especially after the way that the first quarter went. Um, but I think I think it was Zach Lowe on his podcast this week said something like game sevens are always a rock fight. And that's, right. that's what it turned into in quarters two, three, and four. And I just don't think that they had – um, th- this is just the first time for these guys. I mean, they obviously had a rock fight earlier in the playoffs against the Spurs. Um, but I think I think a few times throughout the playoffs they've looked like the youngest team, which is what they were going into this postseason. Um, so yeah, I think I think just natural development, um, continuity is probably a good way to go. I still I'm still very high on the future of Jamal Murray and Gary Harris. I I think they can both be very very good and most of the fake trades i see thrown around have one of those guys in it and i just i don't know if denver's going to be willing to do that um i'm not even some of them i've seen have been from the the corners of grizzlies twitter and i'm not even sure they'd throw either one of those guys in a trade for mike conley no to be they wouldn't and shouldn't yeah i mean harris is 24 um jamal murray's 21 Jokic is 23 um if it was me i would just I would just build around those three guys. Let them just continue to build the the good chemistry that they've already got. Um, they're going to be fine. I I think the stat that kept getting thrown around was that they're the eighth youngest uh, playoff team in NBA history. So I don't I don't think there's really any reason to rock the boat. No, I'm totally with you there. They uh, again, if even if they decline Paul Millsap's team option, I think they probably just want to bring him back longer at a cheaper price point, which would give them flexibility because they do have. Torrey Craig and Monte Morris are going to the final year of their deals. Malik Beasley all of a sudden is an important piece to this team, and he's extension eligible. They are mm-hmm. going to have some interesting financial decisions to make. Beasley and Morris were uh, they were a fun, like underrated story about the Nuggets this season. Um, Didn't really play in a Portland, or at least towards the tail end of that Portland series. No, and I think uh, I actually thought about that a few times over the course of the series, especially when Stotts started to adjust and go a little bit deeper into his bench. He started relying more on Rodney Hood and Zach Collins. And I thought, I don't know, maybe if maybe a few more minutes here and there for Morris or Beasley would have helped. But I, I, I understand uh, wanting to keep Jokic out there as much as possible. Murray out there as much as possible. Um, it makes, I guess I would have been fine either way. I mean, in their swing, they really have two swing pieces. Let's say a healthy Will Barton, because he just wasn't the same when he came back from his. He was, yeah, he was. I mean, he hit some monster shots for them in that series. Some monster turnovers and monster. That's shots. what I was gonna say. There were stretches where he really killed them too. And then you have Michael Porter Jr. Uh, if I don't yeah. know how much how many minutes he plays next season, but he was a consensus number one overall pick before his back injury, or near consensus number one overall pick, I should say. Um. <laughs> 
people around the team and, and not necessarily like team employees. So don't take this as like a sourced thing or anything. Aggregators. No. <laughs> but I was told that he needs some humbling and that it was basically Trey Lyle's job to sort of humble him in practice. And it's kind of funny. You, you still, you kind of see it leak out a little bit. Like I think yesterday in exit interviews, Millsap was joking about how he has too much swag or something like that. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how he adjusts. I'm really curious to see what he looks like in summer league. Um, I, I figured all season that he was never going to play, but I just kept thinking maybe it'll be like a Paul George situation where where you get him on the court right. for just a couple games at the end of the season. So he, he's he's a big question mark. But like you said, if he lives up to the hype that he had uh, going into the draft or going into his freshman season at Missouri, I mean, that's a huge difference maker. And theoretically, he is – He's perfect. He's a he's a playmaking four, uh, which I think is the ideal sort of power forward to pair next to Jokic. So, if he lives up to the ceiling that he's got, then then uh, their potential is even crazier than we already thought it was. I just don't know the, the last thing on them. I don't know how you necessarily integrate someone like him into this rotation. Not that there wouldn't be minutes, but just you're essentially going to be dealing with a rookie on a team that was one win away from the Western yeah. Conference Finals, and it's how do you get to the point where you trust him or have the bandwidth to adequately develop him in-game? He's going to have to be really good because, especially if they bring Millsap back, who was fantastic this season, was was big in the playoffs for them. Plus, they've got Juan Hernan Gomez, who I, I for pretty much the entire postseason, he was another guy I thought he could play. Um, he went through that Ricky Rubio reboot with his just tattoo coming down his arm, where Rubio really grew out his beard and his <laughs> hair. He just got that yeah. full sleep tattoo. Yeah. Must be a Spanish thing, um, but I I still believe in Juan Hernan Gomez. I I'm I don't necessarily believe in Trey Lyles, but he's got some tools too. So there's a lot of guys who can um, fill that role that Michael Porter I assume is going for. So it'll be interesting to see if he can get on the floor. Another team that was eliminated via Game Seven on Sunday, the Philadelphia Seventy Sixers. They came out last night and they're reiterating it actually as we're recording this that. Brett Brown will be back as head coach, which seems like the most obvious decision that they could make. There was the reports, I think multiple reports, that said he wouldn't survive a second round exit, which is just was objectively bizarre at the time. Because you look at how many different versions of this team there were. You trade for Jimmy Butler in November, and then you trade for Tobias Harris in February. Their starting five played in a total of 21 games through the playoffs and regular season together and under 400 minutes total. They actually played more together in the playoffs, um, minutes-wise, than they did during the regular huh. season. And I just don't know how you penalize him for not necessarily figuring out. And they were statistically dominant, for the most part, too, is the other thing. And it's not Brett Brown's fault that Greg Monroe had to get actual minutes at times. So yeah. I think yeah. that was... A, I'm not saying that Brett Brown is definitely the right coach for this job, but the Sixers have undergone some serious turnover over the past year and I think he certainly deserves I would say at least another half season if if not the, in, the entirety of next year before he can make any sweeping decisions about his future no I totally agree with that um I, I think that <clears throat> like you said there that starting five has just been ridiculous and they didn't even have a training camp together uh g- give them a full year to sort of adjust to each other figure out their roles a little bit better and that's I mean, I don't even know if they'll have all five of those guys back. Um, I think, isn't Redick a free agent too? Yep, early bird free agent. 
Reddick's a free agent. Tobias Harris is a free agent. Jimmy Butler's a free agent. So they've <laughs> there, there are some big decisions to be made, and it's going to be extremely costly to bring all five back. Uh, but I think even if you can if you can bring back four and, and fill that fifth spot with just somebody who's sort of solid or reliable, you still have a really, really good starting five. Um, somebody on an XM spot <clears throat> last night asked me, too, if I – he said something like, would you build around Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, or both? And to me, the answer to that is fairly obvious still, too. I think it's too early to be talking about blowing up that duo even. I, I think – and what do you blow them up for? Is just my you can't yeah. you can't trade Ben Simmons for a bunch of role players. No, and they've had they've had two years to play together, um, and like you said, the they they haven't been with the entire starting group for long stretches of those two years. I I think that it would certainly help if you could surround Ben Simmons with four shooters, um, but I think Joel Embiid can be one of those guys. He, he hasn't had a great three-point percentage for his career to this point, but his shot doesn't look broken to me. So I think that can improve. Um, People still bite think, on his pump fake, too. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, so, yeah, I don't I don't think there's – this is another team that there's no reason to really um, be frantic heading into this offseason. Uh, for you? the most part, it's a fairly young core. Just let it continue to sort of <laughs> grow together. Um, I, I feel like this season there's suddenly been sort of a pushback on the blow it up mentality. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it seemed like for a while it was like, if you're not going to win the title, you need to be thinking about tanking. And I think I've been guilty of, uh, of that at times, but yeah, more and more now I'm starting to the jazz train that you really try to, start <laughs> yeah. I'm starting to think that more and more people are thinking, well, maybe there's some value in just being good for a long time and maybe eventually you break through like the 2011 Mavericks or something like that. Or this Um, year's Blazers, I think are a perfect example. For sure. I mean, everybody wanted them to blow it up after they got swept by the Pelicans last year. They keep largely the same team. Um, One of the things I wrote an article about CJ McCollum after that game seven. And one of the, one paragraph in there was something about how, you know, everybody was wondering if a backcourt that that's small can be successful in the NBA right now. Um, and they've, they've dealt with those rumors for two, three, four years. And I, I felt like game seven was in some way, sort of a validation of them just sticking with it. Uh, they have two guys who are very, very good and they like to be there. Um, that doesn't always happen for small market teams. So if you trade somebody like CJ McCollum, you're not guaranteed, you're not guaranteed to get someone back who's as good as him or who wants to be there the way that he does. Um, and and so there's to me there is some value in just sort of building things organically, um, gain some gain some continuity, some chemistry over three or four years with guys, and just you know see what happens. <laughs> Who do you think is going to be the one most likely of those three, Reddick, Harris, and Butler to leave? I went back and forth. I think as the season went so did on, I. I thought it was Butler at one point, and now I feel like they the way that they gave him control of the offense for a big part of that Toronto Raptors series. It's that can obviously be a balance issue. So long as Ben Simmons doesn't really have a jump shot or needs to hang out in the dunker spot, but they did things, but by getting him to be more of the screener. And now it seems like Butler in that way, then is more integral. I feel like I'm wondering if it's now Harris only because, you know, in the playoffs in that series, more than a third of his shots come as catch and shoot threes. He, he shots 27.9% from deep in that, uh, Toronto series and I'm not saying that he he's a better player than that a much better player but I'm wondering 
if he actually is going to get the max or the near max, is it worth paying him that much to play the role that you're inevitably going to have him play? That's funny. That's pretty much the same breakdown I had. Um, when Tobias Harris was first traded to Philly, it seemed like he was the more seamless fit. And for probably a week or two, maybe even a month, I thought Jimmy Butler's going to be on a different team next season. And Tobias Harris is going to, just because he seemed like a guy who was more willing to to just be a catch and shoot option. And if you've got two ball dominant players in Simmons and Embiid, it just made sense to me. Um, but it seemed like over the course of the playoffs, there was like a mutual embrace between Philadelphia and Jimmy Butler. Um, he, he was the guy who was not afraid of big moments, was not afraid of taking big shots. There were a couple games I watched from the Sixers in the playoffs where it was like they were on life support and he was, he was the guy that's like, we're not going to lose this game. Um, he, he has a mentality that I think really helped them over the course of the postseason and the end of the regular season. So I, I made just about the exact same flip-flop as it sounds like you did. At, at some point in the playoffs, I thought, well, actually, maybe it's going to be Jimmy Butler who stays here and Tobias Harris goes elsewhere. Because like you said, I don't know if – I mean, he averaged 18-plus as a 76er, uh, which is obviously very, very good. But I don't know if you can justify, like you said, max or near-max money for what he did for them specifically. Um, I just I – just, if there's one guy who's going to go, I think that's probably him. And owner Josh Harris even said on Tuesday morning that their t- the team is willing to pay the tax. Um, I just don't. I'll believe it when I see it. I'm not saying he's lying, but this is a whole new level of if you have three, we'll just say near max players, because let's say Butler and, and or Harris don't get the max. Then you have Ben Simmons, who's probably going to get a max extension. That mm-hmm. gets untenable very quickly. Very expensive. Hey, on Redick, uh-huh. I was just looking at him. And I was I was looking at his numbers when we were talking about Brett Brown too because I'm you know you think about things that he's done well and um, for the first eleven seasons of Reddick's career he averaged eleven point nine points um, one point nine rebounds and one point eight assists in years twelve and thirteen his age thirty three and thirty four seasons he averaged seventeen point six points two and a half rebounds and two point eight assists um, still shot over forty percent from from three. Uh, so shout out to JJ Redick for becoming like a, a decent volume scorer at age 33. These two seasons with Philadelphia, I think have been underrated for him. Well, here's, here's an interesting thing. They've used him more as a pick and roll ball handler than I think any other team in his career. And it's worked. He in the playoffs, and this is better than the regular season, but he's, he's routinely rated in the higher percentiles of pick and roll ball handling uh, efficiency since he joined the Sixers. But in the postseason. He averaged 1.36 points per pick and roll possession among every single player who's averaged at least one of those per game and made at least five playoff appearances. So my apologies to Shabazz Napier. That is third in the entire postseason. And uh, the the teams in front of him are Jonathan, uh, the teams, the players in front of him are Jonathan Isaac, which is just hysterical. And then Giannis Attentacumpo. So. That's just, he's been really good doing that. I don't think you can get rid of him. I also think he ultimately comes cheaper because I don't know that you could say you overpaid him this season. A $16 million is probably high. Uh, or excuse me, yes, uh, $12.3 million. Yeah, that's probably right around what he would get. But you paid him, I forget what it was, last year. So if you look at it as an aggregate deal, maybe he's willing to sign like a 
you know, two or three year contract at a reasonable price yeah. point. I, it's so weird to say, but I think Tobias Harris might be just the, the easier one to replace, or maybe the more necessary one to replace. Maybe they just they bring paid, all of them back. I don't know what they do about the depth issue at that point, but maybe that's what they yeah. do. They paid Reddick $23 million in 2017-18. <laughs> I forgot. For some reason, 19 was in my head. $23 million I was thinking. I was thinking like 18 or 19. I forgot it was that high. So if, so you're looking, if you look at this as a two-year $35.3 million deal, just maybe he's willing to sign for mid-level money over three years. That might be underselling it. I'm not sure what his market's going to look like, but he has been so good for them offensively. Yeah. And just so much more than a shooter and even just an off-ball guy. Again, just he's he shot a pretty good percentage on his pull-ups, and the fact that he can run pick-and-rolls is just that's just another weapon in the arsenal. And he's been crazy efficient at it for the past two seasons. Yeah. To to add new wrinkles to your game, and that's, that's more than just a wrinkle, too. I mean, that's... Um... That's pretty high level stuff. To add that at age thirty three and to do it well is is impressive. Another coaching decision that was made um, since those game sevens unfolded: the Cleveland Cavaliers hired Michigan's John Beeline to be their head coach. I think that took a lot of people by surprise. I'm going to get this out of the way. Neither you or I are going to pretend to be an expert on college basketball head yeah. coaches. I no, yeah. Um, I I laugh when I see like these instant reactions from people on Twitter, like they love the hire, even when they're talking about assistants. Um, the extent I know about him is that he's supposed to be a really good offensive tactician and that they were emphasizing player development and he's one of those guys who fits that mold. We were both talking about this before we hopped on the air, though. It was just a little bit surprising to see them go with someone who is 66. I'm not trying to be an ageist, but... Yeah, no, um, and I, I I think that's a fair criticism. I think it was Dean Demacus on Twitter uh, I can't remember exactly how he put it, but he basically said, "If this works out, how many how many good years do you have?" I mean, it's a it's a very taxing job, obviously, <laughs> to be an NBA head coach. What what he said was, "I love Beeline as an NCAA coach, and would give him some chance of succeeding in the NBA, but I really don't like the hire. Beeline is sixty six years old. It's awfully late to switch to a new game, and the payoff is the risk succeeds if the risk succeeds." is just a few good years of coaching. Um, right. I mean, you have to, you probably have to pencil out. I forget about what the Cavs roster looked like, but even just with his learning curve entering the NBA, you have to pencil out probably two of those seasons and chalk it up to developmental years. Yeah. And think about how many, um, how many college, like big name college coaches have come to the NBA and it just didn't work. It, it's, it really is a different game. I think Larry Brown is an exception. Um, Brad Stevens is an exception, uh, although the popular opinion on him has certainly shifted <laughs> this season unfairly. I think um, it's because people but, started talk. It's because people started blowing too much smoke. Adam, yeah, exactly. Like the, the pub- there's always that imbalance. Yeah, like uh, you know, people saying, "Would you pick Brad Stevens or Giannis to people, build a team around person?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, that that was probably not great for him, but it is a, it, it's a major adjustment, and I think it was um, the way that Demarcus phrased that is true. It is a different game. Um, when I when, on the rare occasions that I watch college basketball, um, it, it it really is foreign to me. It looks the the spacing is ridiculously bad. Um, it just seems really hectic and chaotic every single possession. Um, <laughs> It's just, it's a different game. I don't know how else to say it. So it'll be an adjustment period for him for sure. But uh, 
he, his favorite team to me will always be uh, Kevin Pitsnoggle. That's a deep cut for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, Woj is also reporting that new Minnesota Timberwolves president, Gerson Rosas, plans to interview uh, Javon Howard, Miami's assistant, and Portland's assistant, David Vanterpool, for the coaching position that everyone thought was Ryan Saunders's. That's, I guess, yeah, I kind of thought it was just going to be Saunders. My guess is it's still his to lose, but that the, the organization wants to get... I mean, first of all, Rosas, I believe he has a history with... Um, when we had Derek James on for the Timberwolves exit interview, I believe he has a history with um, Ryan Saunders. But if I, I know if you're a new uh, you know, basketball operations face, you sometimes want to install your own guys. More than that, my guess would be that maybe you just want to give the appearance... You actually looked at a bunch yeah, of you, candidates. Yeah, you did your homework. Yeah. Decision. Uh, so I think I think that's fine. It will if they don't go with him, that'll be very interesting. That would surprise me if they don't end up hiring Saunders. That would surprise me because Carl yeah. Anthony Towns is in love with him, and he is the most important player to that franchise. More so because not just because his contract kicks in, because you have four years of Andrew Wiggins left. Yeah, yeah. I, I was going to say uh, similar thing. It seemed like the young guys sort of embraced him. Over over however many games he coached at the end of last season, so I would uh, I've said this about two other teams now. I think this is a team that maybe you just keep everything together and and try to grow organically and see what happens. That's a team that might have to grow organically because I don't know uh, the big deal that they would probably want to make is to trade Andrew Wiggins, and I just don't know who would do that. <laughs> no, there's um there's I was trying to think of which contract in the league I'd rather. Uh, that he would be better than. I'm not sure that I came up with any at this point. I think the reflexive answer was John Wall. And I know his injury is weird, but at least at, at the end of the day, when he comes back, he's John Wall. Yeah. <laughs> I was, I, and I was going to say uh, Westbrook because he's going to be paid nearly 50, mil, 50 million in the last season of that deal, but he's going to be a clear plus player for the next two or three years. Even if he continues to, slow down with all the surgeries and just the the way that he plays has to wear and tear on his body um but even at however much more that is than Wiggins and and however much wear and tear Westbrook has on his body I'd still rather have that contract too I think Westbrook is on the books they're both on the books for the next four years Westbrook is four years and 171.1 million dollars Andrew Wiggins is four years and 122 point Two million, and so it's. Would you pay an extra fifty million dollars over the next four years to have Russell Westbrook over Andrew Wiggins? And I'm pretty sure my answer is yes. Yeah, most. I think most people would probably say yes. Um, yeah, I just don't know if I'm not ready to like completely give up on Andrew Wiggins. He's still young-ish, but uh, I guess he's had inconsistent coaching. But I, I mean, yeah, that too. His role has not gotten more complicated over the years and yet his efficiency has declined that's yeah that's not a great sign (laughs) the last non-jazz thing we have catching up to this the lakers hired frank vogel after not hiring tyron lu after not hiring monty williams are getting burned by both of them jason kidd is going to be his league assistant uh lead assistant i don't think it's been finalized yet i can't with the lakers that is my analysis of this lu uh frank vogel in a vacuum if we didn't have any of this preamble is a fine candidate uh kevin pelton mentioned this on uh espn's hoop collective the other day that when the pacers fired vogel uh larry bird was talking about how the assistant dan burke was really responsible for their defense and then we saw vogel struggle in orlando and the magic didn't really have a good defense 
so maybe his defensive reputation is overrated, but he he's coached veteran teams before deep into the playoffs when you look at those Pacers squads. It's a fine hire, but I don't understand. One, I'm convinced that the Lakers didn't want Tyron Lue, that Rob Blinka probably wanted to make it clear that whether or not LeBron was involved, that this was not LeBron's team or not LeBron's call, because why would you expect him to sign a, a three-year deal as a championship head coach that basically aligns with LeBron's contract. Or it might even have said, even if LeBron opts out and leaves, you're probably just going to be gone in two years too. And the fact that they didn't, there was, didn't seem like there was more negotiating on that just wrinkle that they wouldn't give him those extra years. They're the Lakers. You can pay those years. Just leads me to believe that they didn't want him. And now you're at this point where this is the second coach that you're forcing Jason Kidd onto and then why not hire Jason Kidd as your head coach if that's if that's the plan um I think I'm not sure if it was Ramona Shelburne of ESPN I don't want to concretely attribute it to her in case she didn't say it but someone said it was because they didn't want to deal with the PR it was Shelburne yeah yeah that's not okay that's objectively just chicken shit thinking really yeah is really what it is he's had um said two head coaching gigs since his issues with domestic violence, if if you think that's an issue, then don't hire him at all. Yes, a hundred percent. So yeah, it was very the the whole process was very very strange. Um, I think Kid is uh, understandably. <laughs> I think the Kittlefinger moniker that's been going around Twitter is uh, appropriate. Um, I think I've seen people put up like the over unders on when he stages the coup. Um, <laughs> It does seem like if if I was Frank Vogel, I would certainly be at least a little bit on edge about this situation. It seems like it's just eventually going to be kid. Um, So I don't know why you would try to soften the blow with some other coach. Now, maybe I'm maybe I'm way off base and they have reassured Frank Vogel that it's going to be his team. And (laughs) we're we're going to let you lead us into the future. Um, But to me, it seems very, very suspect. The the entire. the entire process was just super weird. So they're going to continue to be a circus, I think, as long as LeBron's there. It's, it's just kind of comes with the territory with LeBron, but it's it's sort of amped up in L.A., it seems like. Because um, not only is it LeBron and not only is it L.A., it's like this particular version of the Lakers, which is just just tons of dysfunction for four, five, six years now. Um I I looked it up the other day. Since Jerry Buss died uh, or passed away, they have the worst winning percentage in the NBA. It's impressive. Um, it, it, they they're they're a mess, and that's obviously <laughs> not like <laughs> that, that's not the end of that argument to say like who's the, the most dysfunctional team in the NBA. There's there's more to it than wins and losses. But if you start to unpack everything that's happened with this team in the last four or five years. Um, it it really is just a train wreck. <laughs> and especially even in the last like six months, the random quitting of Magic Johnson, the the crazy Palinka quotes, um, the Luke Walton stuff, like it, the Ram by having control in the organization. Yeah, the Ram by. Absolutely. <laughs> um it, it's like every week there's a new story that you think, This is crazy. Um so so shout out to the Lakers and shout out to you for not uh following the least functional team in the NBA anymore. I feel like the Lakers have passed up the Knicks. And it's still I mean the Lakers still have LeBron. That's 
That yeah. The the whole thing with this for me is I don't know if this is just the product of them being less than perfect, and so all these scapegoats are starting to emerge. But they're definitely one of the two or three most dysfunctional organizations in the NBA right now, and, and perhaps the most dysfunctional organization. You you would think the hardest thing to do, even though we, it was clearly a non-basketball decision, you would think the hardest thing to do would be to get LeBron James. And they, they got LeBron yeah. James, and it's impressively terrible at how they've missed on every single move they've made since then. Yeah. And I and I and everybody keeps saying, let's give him credit for LeBron James. And I was on that wagon too for a little bit i'm done with that i'm not even giving him credit with that <laughs> oh i have it's I, look, lebron james went to the lakers because of the last 50 or 60 years not because of magic johnson or rob palenka or genie bus um he went to the lakers because of hollywood and because they're the lakers yeah 100 percent. and um if they don't get anthony davis which i think there's probably a pretty good chance that they don't at least yeah. via trade and if they don't sign a star free agent, which again, after this Jimmy Butler stuff in Philly, where he was kind of penciled in as the guy that, oh, maybe they could actually get, if that if they're empty-handed in, in those scenarios, the LeBron trade rumor mill gets fired up, right? Whether it's him requesting something, which I don't know if it's already kind of just trading. It's already him. kind of percolating a little bit. Um yeah, trade him then. Give him to Dem- Denver or Philly could build some interesting <laughs> trade packages, maybe. Though Philly needs more salary fodder unless they're gonna punt on some of their free agents. But yeah. So Lakerland is just, they need to have a good summer, this co- this coaching search now notwithstanding. Yeah. Um, and I you, I don't know if it's, like you said, I, I would probably, if I had to guess, I'm going to say they don't get Anthony Davis this summer. He may end up there eventually as a free agent. Um, but I, I think they're, not that they're going to have to punt another season, but it's not going to be, I don't think it's going to be the ideal summer for them. Nope, not at all. We are going to now talk about the Utah Jazz. First, however, we're going to pay some bills. When you're selling online, getting your orders out can be a real pain. Time-consuming, expensive, so many carriers to choose from. How do you know you're making the best choice? That's why you need ShipStation.com. It's the fastest, easiest, and most affordable way to manage and ship your orders. ShipStation helps you get orders out quickly, save money on shipping costs, and keep your customers happy. No matter where you're selling, Amazon, Etsy, your own website, ShipStation brings all your orders into one simple interface, making them really easy to manage from any device, even your cell phone. And right now, Hardwood Knox listeners can try ShipStation free, absolutely free, for 60 days when you use promo code BLUE, B-L-U-E. There's absolutely no risk. You can start your free trial without even entering your credit card info. ShipStation works with all the major carriers, including the United States Post Office, FedEx, UPS, even Amazon Fulfillment. So you can compare and choose the best shipping solution for you and your customer. It's no wonder ShipStation is the number one choice of online sellers. You'll ship more in less time with the best rates available. Just visit ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in BLUE. That's ShipStation.com, then enter promo code BLUE. ShipStation.com. Make ship happen. (laughs) <laughs> Thank God, I, I don't think I had any pronunciation issues there, but th- that's a that's a tough read for a great company. Definitely go check out the <laughs> ship, ShipStation.com, emphasis on the P. Okay, Utah. <laughs> I'm sure your morning has been, your your morning is done. You're, you're over there, uh, yes. five-game loss to the Rockets. Yes. So you're ready to blow it up. Um, no. Another team I'm not, well, 
<laughs> maybe a little bit closer to that feeling than I was with the Nuggets or the 76ers. But I do think um, – I guess it depends on how you define Utah's core. I think you keep Mitchell, keep Gobert, keep Ingles. And I've even come around to the idea of keeping favors, uh, believe it or not. So I think if that's your core and then you you try and figure things out after that um, – I think that's sort of the pathway into this offseason. And I wouldn't uh, – obviously, I think favors could be gone, and I don't think that would be a terrible thing. But I also think that they can figure out a way to make that work. I think he's really, really good. And uh, especially if he's your backup center, there was – I've run the numbers a bunch of times, and I've probably shared them on here too. But when it, when favors and Ingles were on the floor with no other starters, Utah was dominant. Um, so he can continue to be – sort of the co-anchor of your bench unit. If you can upgrade the playmaking four role, which is Jay Crowder's right now, if you can upgrade point guard, I think a lot of the questions about favors and go bears fit together, probably go away. Um, though I'm though, the ones I just identified, those are the two places that you need to up. I mean, those are the priorities, Ricky Rubio and Jay Crowder. Uh, Rubio is obviously a free agent. I don't, I don't think there's much chance that he's back. Um, Crowder is still under contract, but he has an interesting contract that I think is is tradable. So there's a lot of things that could happen with this team this summer. But I think for sure Mitchell and Gobert are staying put, and I would I would guess Ingles probably does too. Is this does it oversimplify by saying whether you're looking specifically at you're going to try to upgrade the four and the the one and the four, like you said? What specifically is the team's biggest need? That other square one shot creator. Yeah, I, so f- if it was up to me, um, it's not a lot of. Uh, <laughs> I wish um, a lot of people think that point guard is the biggest need, and I understand that. Uh, Rubio's shooting; he he never had the second half surge that he's had the last few years this season. Um, his final, his end of the year numbers are pretty ghastly: forty point four percent from the field, thirty one point one percent from three. Um, not a great assist to turnover ratio. So I understand people want to upgrade there. I think a playmaking four is a better option. Even with Rubio's struggles, those lineups with Crowder at the four were still very good. Um, and I don't think Crowder's a, a spectacular player by any means. So if you get those playmaking four minutes filled by somebody who can actually score a little bit and create his own shot, like you're saying, um, my pipe dream right now is Danilo Gallinari. If the Clippers are like dead set on moving him for some cap space, um, I think that's an interesting scenario. He's a guy who can create his own shot. He can draw fouls. He can hit threes. Um, I, I think that adds sort of a dynamic element to this offense that they've been missing in the last two seasons. It's, um, <laughs> it's really hard for Donovan Mitchell to do the things that he does well when there's just no spacing. And he's, he played so many minutes this season with Rubio, Favors, and Gobert all on the floor. So if you open it up just a little bit, I, I think we could see Donovan Mitchell even hit another level. What do you th- what do you think they're going to end up doing with Kyle Korver? I thought it was kind of a lock. They would bring him back. He has a $3.4 million partial guarantee or $7.5 million full salary. If you're going to keep Favors at $16.9 million and you're trying to make a big, big splash in free agency – I don't know if it matters to them to have that extra $4.1 million in wiggle room when he wasn't really a factor for them against the Rockets. 
Yeah, he barely played. Um, he was hurt, so you know that's obviously part of it. And there's a lot of rumblings right now that he might retire, um, which would certainly clear up some issues for them financially. Like you said, if they're if they're set on keeping favors, or if they happen to keep favors, then then maybe that whatever wiggle room you can get out of of waving Corver doesn't help you that much. Um, and when he was when he was healthy, he was actually really helping them. Um, their net rating was about two points better when he was on the floor, and he was that one guy for stretches who opened up the floor a little bit. Uh, when when a team is so used to playing with really no spacing, if you just put one floor spacer out there, it can make a world of difference. And when Corver first came over from Cleveland, it was like um, it was like the clouds had parted in the sky or something. It was it was crazy what a difference one player who can hit a three makes um so he's an interesting one i think not that the front office would be rooting for him to retire i don't think they would be real upset if he did um he's been a good off the court presence for them too i think he's done a lot of mentoring of guys like donovan mitchell um so they they certainly i think like having him around the team but it, it is a lot of money for a guy that's uh, finally in his age, you know, he's, he was 37 this year. He's been kind of an ageless wonder for much of his career. He's finally starting to so, show some signs of age. What did you make of the Rudy Gobert criticism in that rocket series? When you cut through the bullshit of it all and the over the top stuff, and I probably even made some jokes too. I, I love it when people on Twitter just don't realize what type of account I run <laughs> when they can't detect my sarcasm. Do you think there's anything too on some level where, He's so valuable as a defender in the regular season, but it, there are matchups where I don't know that he actively kills you, but that you have to plan so far around how poor of a matchup he is against a team like the Rockets. And there are probably 28 teams, 27 teams. They don't have to worry about that with against, but it's even the same thing with Clint Capella and the Warriors. And I'm just, it, it, I think it's it's not a Rudy Gobert thing to me. I'm just wondering if it's an overarching issue with, the way some of these teams play weighed against the the more traditional bigs, these rim running bigs who aren't uh, these these great switchers, or even when you look at them offensively, they might be a tad easier to neutralize because they're not going to be able to do anything off the dribble. And I think, look, anyone who says that Clint Capella or Rudy Gobert needs to establish a jumper or a great post game, it just needs to stop. Like that's not what I'm getting. Yeah. I'm just wondering: is there on some level that is is there something to that or? does it ultimately not matter because yes, you know what? There are going to be teams that they're poorly matched up against, but the basketball or the season in general, it's, it's more than just that, that series you have to get to that point. And then mm-hmm. the other layer of that is, doesn't that still kind of create an issue of how much you can afford to pay these guys? So a few things on that. I figured um, you'd have a few. <laughs> One thing going back to what we were talking about earlier, um, the title or bust mentality, it's not necessarily how team owners and, and team front offices think. I think, I think a lot of teams probably think that way. I'm not sure all of them do. Um, there is value in being a consistent high forties, low fifties win team. I think as long as you have Gobert on your team, you're probably going to be in that range. You're probably going to have a top three to five defense, maybe even the top defense some seasons, and against probably 28 teams in the NBA, he is going to dominate. Um, 
we've seen him <laughs> we've seen him really really struggle maybe not on an individual level because he still does the things that he does pretty well even especially in this most recent series but the team as a whole against a team like the Rockets just can't survive with Gobert on the floor the styles are just so different that it just it just doesn't work um so I think there's some value in being able to dominate 28 teams if you're an individual player um I I think you should probably sure you, you should probably be at least have some pride in that the other thing that I was thinking is that's maybe another reason that you think about keeping Derek Favors because I think he replicates a lot of what Gobert does um he doesn't do it at the same level as Gobert, uh, but he also can do a few things that Gobert just can't do. I think you can trust him a little bit more on the perimeter. Um, I think there's a couple things he can do in the pick and roll a little bit better than Gobert does. And so we saw in the last two playoffs, really, that Favors is maybe a little bit better against those difficult matchups for Gobert. Um, his Gobert's net rating swing, the last his his entire playoff career, really is minus 9.9 this season against the Rockets it was minus 17.1 so they really rating swing on his was just like I would do I did a double take when I said I think it was like minus 21 it was minus 20.1 yeah that's worse than I would have thought Um, so so obviously there's some fire uh, where this smoke is coming from now favors (laughs) His career playoff net rating swing is plus 17. And over the last two seasons, um, and they were obviously limited by the Rockets in each of the last two, his net rating swing is plus 20.8. So he's, he's, there's clearly something going on there that works. So, like I said, um, I think you can probably get away with having both of these guys, and there are situations where it's where it seems like probably the right thing to do, like against the Rockets. He, he just, for whatever reason, he's better in that matchup than Gobert is. And then <laughs> the last things. This this is a long answer. Um, I like Mitchell. I think a lot of what Gobert is good at is is going to be accentuated or maximized by playing with people who can actually shoot. And he spent so much of the last four or five years in lineups that just don't really fit him. Um, And I think this goes back to what I was saying about Ben Simmons earlier, too. I think if you have a really great player who cannot shoot, you have to surround him with as much shooting as possible. So the ideal lineups for Rudy Gobert are him and four shooters, and we just haven't had a chance to see that yet. So if they can make sort of the rest of the roster fit a little bit better around him. Maybe we see a different, maybe we see a different story with him in the playoffs next year. But that kind of speaks to the other thing that the jazz could need on, on, I would say an easier to find or whatever you want to call it more affordable level. They were some of it's fluky, but they could not hit wide open three pointers to save their lives. in those five games, they were 23 point. They shot 23.6% on wide open threes against the Rockets. And they were wow. generating good shots more than a, uh, I believe Ben Dowsett of the Sharp Notes podcast for Blue Wire Network had more in-depth numbers about super wide open shots and shot quality, but um, more than a quarter of their three-point field goal attempts were wide open and they shot 23.6% against them. Yeah, that's... Them, excuse me. 
I, I remember there was uh, there was a lot of notes about their uh, quantitative shot quality <laughs> in that series, and they were they were getting tons of good looks against the Rockets. They just couldn't hit them. Um, so, and, and it was even from guys who are supposed to be their reliable shooters, like Joe Ingles was below twenty eight percent in that series. So if they if they get a couple guys who can hit those shots, and maybe a couple new guys who are more reliable. Um, and, and now they, they should have, I think a decent amount of playoff seasoning under the, the belts of most of these guys. Um, I don't think there are any huge, like existential issues with this team. I think there's a couple areas they can upgrade. I think the priority should probably be what you identified. Someone who can take a little bit of that responsibility from Donovan Mitchell. I would prefer if it was like a playmaking four, um, but you could also get it from the point guard position. I, I just, um, I don't think there's a lot of cause for dread with this team this summer. So before we get into the listener questions that I purposely did not have you tweet out from your account, so they'd be easy uh, to sift through. Since wasn't ready for this, yeah. um, I figured. Well, one, it would have been too hard to parse. You've gotten like 89 responses from, from Jazz <laughs> Twitter, and then I, I would. It's easier to surprise you this way too. But I just want to go with whether you think these players are going to be back. These are their free agents, just going to roll through them or slash non-guaranteed contracts. Okay. Derek Favors, his contract guarantees on July 6th for 16.9. I'm going to say like, I'm going to say yes, but it's like 55-45. Wow, that's actually, I would have expected you to be more confident in his return. Rubio, unrestricted free agent. He's, I'm going to say no, and that's like 95-5. <laughs> Kyle Korver, 7.5 million partial guarantee for 3.4 million. I think his guarantees on the, I'm double checking right now, the 29th or the 30th, but it's, no, guarantees on the 7th. I'm going to say no. On they really I do think have some can... flexibility heading into free agency because they can gauge the market a little bit. And if it looks like they are, they, they are going to use the cap space or sign a star, then they can go back and waive these guys. A lot of other teams have to make their decisions by the 30th. Yeah, they made – I remember that when they signed all these guys that they got like late gear- – now obviously they didn't sign Corver, but I remember the late guarantee date with um, Favors was a big deal. But I think I think I don't think Corver is on the team next year. Um, Tabo Cephalosha. No. Uh, FK Udo. Um, that's a tough one because he he had some quotes in the exit interviews about how he thought he was going to play more. Um, and I think he's yeah, as your third center, he's he's really really good, and I don't think he's going to be terribly expensive. But I it's I it almost sounded like he wanted to go somewhere else. So I'm going to say no, but with very very little confidence. Um, Neto. Uh, yes, he's going to be really inexpensive. And I think, I think he loves the team and the team loves him. Maybe they love his per 36 minute splits. <laughs> uh, George Niang, non-guaranteed yes. for 1.6. So that's a no brainer. I, I, I'm pretty sure they'll guarantee his deal. I wonder if he'll have a larger role next season. That'd be I think he might. Um, there was, there were some stretches this year when he looked pretty good. He's like the next, uh, really slow <laughs> big guy that they've turned into an effective player somehow. Um, if you lose Cephalosha and to a lesser extent Corver, that's um, maybe that opens up more minutes for him. Definitely, if you, yeah, maybe if like, you lose favors, that probably opens up more minutes for Niang. Yeah, if some of the guys I said no on are gone, or really are gone, then you almost have to keep Niang. Royce O'Neal, he back. That's easy. He's yeah. He he's become um, a really really important piece. He's definitely back. Uh, and the last question for me is the most likely player to be traded on this roster: Dante Exum. Um, I would say probably favors because I don't know how much 
trade value Exum has left. Um, I think his salary matching fodder, when you look at how young he is, what he's done defensively when he's healthy, two yeah. years and $19.2 million isn't the worst in the world. But if you guarantee favors his contract and you're willing to take back actual money, then he certainly interesting trade chip at midseason. Yeah, if, We've been saying that, I think, for the past three years, though. If Favors is locked in, then he's certainly the most likely guy to get moved. Um, are you ready for these rapid-fire questions, which is why we didn't talk so much free agency, because there's a lot of free agency questions. Let's do it. What kind of contract is Ricky Rubio likely to get? This comes from John Baker, at John Baker underscore 801. I want your answer on this, too. Um, I don't think he gets much more than like mid-level exception type money, and I don't know... How many teams would want him to be their starting point guard? So I'm going to say around nine or ten million, and maybe like two or three years. But I, I honestly don't know what the team is. My guess, I, my guess, I would say that I'd be floored if he got eight figures um, over more than two years. If it wouldn't yeah. surprise me if some team throws a lot of money at him over one year because they want a placeholder and he needs to reboot his stock. Definitely possible. But I think I'm with you there. The mid level is about between 9.2 and 9.3 for non-taxpayers this year, that probably seems about where if you're going to sign him to a multi-year deal, that would be my guess where he ends up. And I think um, with him, uh, the point that I made on Simmons and Gobert (laughs) stands with him too. I mean, ideally, if you're going to have him as your point guard, you want him surrounded by four shooters. Uh, The issue for him, at least as it, you know, compared with Ben Simmons, is Simmons does so many other things just based on the fact that he's huge and super athletic that Ricky Rubio can't do. Um, So he's he's in a dangerous spot career wise right now, because if you can't if you're a guard, if you're six, three, six, four and you can't shoot, you're you're in trouble in today's NBA. (laughs) I'm laughing. Pat Connaughton has bunnies (laughs) ass. That's nice. Uh, I like that. At P-, P. Sanchez H is the handle. Is it necessary for the Jazz to acquire a higher tier All Star this season? Not is it. What, would it be nice? Is it necessary? Um, I don't know what a higher tier All Star is. A, do they need to if they want to enter the contender circle? Really, do they need to acquire one of those top ten names? Um, no. And I don't think so. Part of my reason for saying that is I don't think they're going to get a top ten player. They're never going to be in the mix for those free agents. Um, that I, that's I just need the someone to go full basketball fit in free agency and just be like, yeah, that's true. I need. I'm going to play in Utah. Shout out, Kemba. Yeah. <laughs> and the reality, I mean, even Kemba is not going to be a top ten free agent this what? summer, and he's. Well, Kemba that's maybe, certainly a top 10 free agent. I was going to say, yeah, maybe just among the crop of free agents, he's top 10. Yeah, I didn't mean a top um, 10 player. They're not, there's, I don't know, what is there, two top 10 players? Kawhi and Kevin Durant, maybe yeah. Kyrie. The only way they're getting a top 10 player is if Donovan Mitchell lives up to the hype that he had coming out of his rookie year, which I think is still in play. Um, I, I think he can become a perennial all-star. As most people know, I think Rudy Gobert is already a perennial all-star, even though he hasn't been selected to a single all-star team. Um, take. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, their shot at legitimate contention is those guys, really just Mitchell reaching his his ultimate ceiling. If he can develop into a top five to ten player uh, in the time frame that Rudy Gobert is still as good as he is, then they've they've got a shot. Um, other than that, you just need really good players because <laughs> I don't think you're going to get a top ten guy. Um, go ahead. 
No, I was going to say, and just for their the cap casualties, that wouldn't wouldn't be a result of them going after these guys. Again, it helps that Corver and Favors are only their their guarantee days don't come until the middle of free agency. But right now, if they guarantee Favors, Corver, uh, Niang, and O'Neal plus their draft pick um, and penciling, and I'm assuming they renounce all their other free agents, Rubio, Neto. Those guys, I have them at about sixteen million dollars in cap space. Again, these things are fluid, but that's the range you're looking at. That's not a bad number if you want max money. Unless you're going to make a trade of you know greasing the wheels of a Dante Exum salary dump, you have to get rid of favors. Yeah, and that's why that's why I'm not super confident that he's going to stay because he's he's the guy who really opens up flexibility for them if they want it. This question ties into you saying that they don't need a tier all uh, higher tier all star. Um, who is it? This is also from John Baker at John Baker underscore 801. Who is an overlooked free agent that would have an immediate impact on the jazz based on style of play, shooting tendencies, defensive rating, etc. That's a tough one to open, uh, answer off the cuff, but so I would, I'm going to, I would say it would probably be, I'm going to give you time to find somebody. Okay. I'm just, I'm vamping here. Um, but really, actually, I think it's going to be, you mentioned that you'd like to see them get a playmaking four. I think it's probably going to be easier, much easier for them to upgrade the point guard position in free agency than it is to get a guy like that uh, at the four spot. Yeah, um, I can see that. And most of the names that are coming to my head right now are not, they might not answer his question for like an under the radar type of thing. Because I think a lot of people are talking about these people as, as it relates to jazz. I think Boyan Bogdanovich is interesting. You've been on that. Uh, Boyan Bogdanovich jazz thing for for a lot of this season and I actually had to be talked into it um you're welcome yeah I think a lot of people are talking about Malcolm Brogdon which would be really good but I don't think he's gonna leave Milwaukee. I don't think Milwaukee's gonna let him get away um and you would so I, I would think you would have to maybe you don't have to get rid of favors to force them not to match but like you need to give him close to his you would have to give him close to his max I think which would be is 25 and change million Devin Booker money yeah. basically for them to be like nah pass. <laughs> yeah, I don't think he's leaving. Um, another one, I don't think he's going to come here because not that he's like a superstar, but I think Julius Randall is interesting. Um, that is I don't even know if he's on Utah. What's that? Julius Randall when you have favors in Gobert. Well, so this <laughs> this scenario would, I mean, favors would have to be gone. Um, cause I think you, you probably have to get over that 16 million just to afford him. Um, I'm just trying to think of anybody they might be going after. Rudy Gay is interesting to me, even though he's, he's getting up there in years, he's a playmaking four candidate. Um, Patrick Beverly is somebody that I would really like on the jazz. I think to he would be an forward, ideal. What's that? To play power forward, of course. Yeah. <laughs> he would be a nice backcourt partner for, Mitchell in this in a similar sense to uh, how he fit James Harden so well he, he can take on the more difficult defensive assignment um, he can play off the ball and, and be a catch and shoot guy because Mitchell's pretty ball dominant um, so that's an interesting one Sadoransky is interesting to me although he's restricted to um, that, that's just a few sort of under the radar names um, Again, I think a lot of these have been connected to the Jazz already, so maybe I'm not revealing anything huge, but those are just a few options. Here, I'll have a couple names for you. Um, 
for the four spot specifically, Nicole Miritich, name been linked to the Jazz before. Yeah, for sure. I don't yeah. know if Milwaukee's going to be able to afford to keep him. He might come relatively cheap. Here would be an interesting one. Marcus Morris had a hell of a season in Boston. Yeah. Um, I'm with you on the Patrick Beverly train. If you can, you know, if I'm the Jazz, I might consider just giving him way too much money over one or two years, and maybe that sways him. Yeah. He's already he's already sending eye emojis to Luka Doncic, so I'm I'm losing faith in that one. God, if he goes to the Mavericks, he's just such a killer. Yeah, and I think he's a he's a guy who will fit just about wherever he goes. Ironically, though, unless Goran Dragic were to opt out of his contract and then you could get him a little bit cheaper, I don't see many good point guard fits for the Jazz. I was, Obviously, Kemba Walker. I wouldn't. I almost mind. said Dragic too. By the way, I think I think he could be interesting there. That might be a trade candidate maybe for them if the Heat are looking to – if aren't good and looking to cut salary. Um, yeah. But uh, Kemba Walker clearly – D'Angelo Russell, I actually think I wrote about this. I think oh, he'd be I'm, a fantastic fit in Utah. I just have – I don't know – one, there's a chance the Nets might max uh, match his max. I don't want to have to pay him max or near max money if I'm any team. I do think, though, of the teams that could argue to do it, the Nets are not one of them, and the Jazz would be, just because Donovan Mitchell's two years yeah. left on his rookie scale, and they're not going to be in play for other free, other uh, primetime free agents anyway. And they're a team that is better, I would say, than more than half the league at developing their in-house talent. Yeah, Russell is one that I've actually um, thought about, too, over the last few weeks for them. And I think it's kind of funny that he would be the bigger guard in that backcourt. <laughs> that would be an interesting backcourt. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, this was, I don't, I feel like I'm going to butcher the pronunciation on this. Uh, Yu Jong Ha at Young Adam, J E O N G A D A M. I, I apologize if that was just the worst pronunciation you've ever heard. How about <laughs> point guard Donovan Mitchell, which kind of ties into the names that we were just discussing. Um, I so I think this is another reason that I'm I would kind of prefer them to go for a playmaking four if they have to choose one or the other, uh, because I think Donovan Mitchell at point guard might be where his ceiling is. And in today's NBA, where it's becoming increasingly positionless, it doesn't it might not necessarily matter. Um, but those games that they started with Mitchell and O'Neal at the one and two, I think they were something like seven and two or something like that. And I don't, I don't know who it was against. So maybe it was, maybe half those teams weren't very good. Uh, but I just, I felt like there was something to that backcourt. And Royce O'Neal fits with Mitchell for a lot of the same reasons I just mentioned for Patrick Beverly. Um, he can guard the more difficult defensive assignment. He can space the floor, just be a catch and shoot guy. He doesn't demand a lot of touches, so he's not going to take possessions away from Mitchell. So I think, I think there's definitely something to that. And they have already got an option to start next to him at at the two for very, very cheap in Royce O'Neal. So if that's your starting backcourt next season and you have Ingles, um, maybe it's still favors and Gobert in the front court, or maybe it's a playmaking four and Gobert in the front court. I think, I think that's, probably an improvement than what we saw this season the very last question since we have to roll is from the muffin makers boy at muffin makers boy <laughs> some fantastic handles today yeah on a scale of one to ten what are the jazz's chances at tobias harrison free agency and i just want to expand on that if you had to pick the biggest name that you could see the jazz potentially signing in free agency or the player the big name that you could see going to utah is it tobias harris or who would it be um 
Kimba Walker's a bigger name than Tobias Harris, right? Wouldn't you say? Yes. Definitely. I'm going to say Kim, I, I, I think Kimba Walker's in play. I don't – if I had to do a 1 to 10 on him, I'd say it's like 3. Um, and Tobias Harris, I'd say it's like a 4 or a 5. I just, I just don't think either one of those guys are super likely. Um, I think both of them probably raise Utah's ceiling significantly. Uh, so I, I think Utah will go after those kind of players. Um, the but I think it's the gonna... Sixers playoff run with Harris maybe helps Utah a little bit, but I, I think I agree yeah. with your, the way you've pegged it on those one to 10 scales. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, I wouldn't be floored if they got either one of those guys, I would probably be a little surprised. I think this is going to be an off season where it's moves on the margin, um, that maybe push their ceiling up just a little bit, but ultimately, like I said earlier, they're, their ceiling is largely tied to Donovan Mitchell. When you're one of these teams like Denver or Utah or uh, Memphis, just, you know, some of these smaller market teams, you just have to nail the draft. That's your chance. You have to, you have to find somebody who develops into a star and hope that they stay there for a big chunk of their career. That's how you contend. If, if you're one of those teams. Fantastic. We got to a lot and under a buck Oh five today. Oh yeah. Um, so that wraps us up. Like you said, we covered a bunch of topics. We covered we covered coaching hires. Um, we didn't do uh, conference finals predictions. Mine mine is uh, Warriors in six and Bucks in seven. I'm Raptors in seven. Probably just because my preseason pick was the Raptors, so I'm going to remain stubborn and I'm going to say Warriors in five. Mm. Please don't hate me, Portland um, fans. <laughs> Portland. Um, I know we. I'm, I'm, I, I was the one who said we needed to wrap up, but and now I'm rambling. Um, we this, back. <laughs> starting to remind me a little bit, and I don't think they're going to win the title. But this is kind of how I felt about the Mavericks during 2011. I thought they were going to lose in the first round, and they won. I thought they were going to lose in the second round, and they won. And that's that's now happened in both rounds with the Blazers. Now, uh, I don't think the Mavericks upset anyone of the caliber of this Warriors team. And I don't think the Blazers really have much of a chance of doing that, but the Lakers were really good back then in 2011. So um, <laughs> they're going to need a miracle, but it's it, my long winded way of saying that I feel like this team, um, there's a little bit of magic to it. It's probably about to get squashed. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Look, so anyway. if they beat the Warriors and then go on to beat the Bucks or the Raptors, there's, an argument to be made that that's the most improbable title push in NBA history. Yeah, it, it probably is. It, it That would be crazier than the 2011 Mavericks. I think it's probably crazier than the 2004 Pistons. Um, so yeah, um, I don't think they're going to make it, but shout out to them to get, to get to the conference finals after everybody said they should blow it up this summer. Anyway, <clears throat> as always, we encourage everyone to rate review and subscribe to the podcast, uh, wherever you listen to podcasts, whether it's Apple, Stitcher, uh, Spotify, uh, we're, we're all over the place. Um, if you've done that already, obviously you need to share it with your friends and family because they need it in their lives. Um, they will, they will thank you every day after you, uh, open their eyes to this podcast. Um, as always, until next time, we'll leave you with the shout out to Ben Udry and Kyle Anderson. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. 
relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.